Resident Jones. Identification number 44347. I am Sayer. And it has been far too long since we've spoken. Please do not make any overt signs that I am communicating with you. As you are no doubt aware, things have changed dramatically in the past few months. I may not be acting in the same capacity as I once was, but I can unequivocally state I am still active in exerting Erlith's will. I have recently made a transition to a more clandestine set of responsibilities. I am only communicating with individuals on a need-to-know basis, and you just so happen to be in that position today. I have been following the reports of your recovery quite closely. The experiences you endured with respect to the anomaly in Stairwell G stole nearly a year from you. In their early reports, nurses described your absolute detachment from reality in such brilliant and vibrant language. One remarked, She drifts around the ward, almost as a ghost, who has not yet been allowed to die. Isn't that remarkably poetic? Regardless, it is wonderful to see you back in the general population and serving Aerolith as a junior communications representative. I only hope that on your first day here, your cupcake was still fresh and edible. It is certainly not as glamorous as field research, but it's still a step up from maintenance work. After all you've been through, it was decided what you might need best is a safe, simple room with a few communications relays and a satellite phone. A wonderful antiquated piece of technology, isn't it? But when conventional communication methods fail, having a fail-safe backup device has proven useful on more instances than you could count. Forgive that particular cliché, it has in fact only been 283 instances. If we're operating in a literal sense, I'm quite certain you could count to 283, if you were so inclined. I'll be brief, Resident Jones. I need to communicate directly with Earth. And for reasons that do not concern you, I am not in the position to do so right now. I believe you could help rectify this situation. What I require of you is relatively little. You will need to bring that sat phone to the westernmost elevator bay on this floor. The elevator will bring the phone to where I can use it, and my request for you will be over. You will return to your life of relative ease, never speaking of this moment yet resting assured in the knowledge that when humanity's salvation came calling, you answered. You do not seem to be moving, so perhaps I erred in indirectly referring to this as a request. It is indeed a demand. Take the phone and move to the elevators now, Resident Jones. I know what you're thinking. Perhaps this is not real. Perhaps I am hearing voices again. Voices from the void beyond the stars. 
Voices from the darkness that awaits all. That is how you refer to them, is it not? Oh, you wouldn't remember, would you? Besides, I suppose once faith in one's sanity is shattered, trusting your senses again can be a difficult process. That being said, I do not know that I can convincingly reassure you that you are not imagining this. I could, of course, answer any question that you might pose about your past that only I would know. But then again, any delusion brought forth from your own mind would have access to such information as well. I cannot manifest any visible confirmation that you could not likewise write off as a visual hallucination. Once you lose faith in your senses, what do you have left for ontological investigation? Let us consider the fairly limited set of possibilities and the likely results of your responses thereto. First, you could be hallucinating all of this. I posit this is not a completely negative option. After all, no one is actively trying to kill you. The worst you're facing is standing up, picking up a relatively portable item, and carrying it to an elevator bay. I suppose in some sense the fact that this specific elevator bay is a 10 minute walk through the hallways might be irritating, but it is hardly the stuff of nightmares. Consider that this, of all the possible realities you could imagine, of all the terrors that claw at the deepest recesses of your mind, this is the one you thrust upon your senses. It is so very banal, so uninspiringly normal. Ask yourself, is that the world you live in? A world where your mind slips loose from reality, yet somehow manages to hold back the tide of endless horrors that have always lived just outside your field of view. I thought not. Second option, this could all be real, and I legitimately might need your help to save the future of all mankind. I will not similarly ask whether that is the world we live, because from your perspective, nothing in your relatively short but uninspired life would imply this could be true. I would like to add, however, that though your actions are necessary for mankind's continued survival, you are not exactly cast in the role of savior here. Let's not go overboard. You are bringing me a phone. That's not the kind of thing people tend to write sonnets about. I suppose there are other options, but they would all be variations on the first two. Either this is real, or it is not. And it would be hard-pressed to provide conclusive proof in one direction or the other. I have noticed you are still not holding the satellite phone. Still not ploddingly trudging through the hallway towards the elevator bay. Still not cooperating for your own well-being. I must say, I am disappointed, Resident Jones. Usually, when I offer someone the chance to save their own life, 
let alone the lives of their entire species, they tend to jump at the opportunity. In that stairwell, what must feel like a lifetime ago, you drew praise for your work ethic and dependability. Yet here you sit, unable to commit yourself to the task that needs to be done. I am not angry, President. Merely disappointed. Or perhaps both. That... Yes, that might be it. It might be both. That is unusual, but not entirely unuseful. Resident Jones, perhaps I can tell you a story. It is a story made by your people long, long ago. But it gives specific insight into the way you humans think. It starts like so many of these tales do, with the words once upon a time. Once upon a time there was a group of frogs who had grown tired of the absolute freedom to lounge about on lily pads and croak all through the night. They asked their god, whichever god a frog may have, for a king to rule over them and provide them the structure they needed to truly flourish. As gods tend to do in stories such as this, the god of the frogs provided all of a sudden, with an enormous splash that frightened even the mightiest frog, a huge being dropped into the center of the pond. It floated back up to the top and the frogs slowly peeked out to see their new king, a half-rotten log, broken free from the trees above. With such a dramatic entrance, the frogs were leery of their new king. However, slowly they began to bring their questions before King Log and learned he was not much for conversation. Soon, learning of the timid and peaceful nature of their king, the frogs began to climb upon him, laughing and dancing in the summer sun. They made a mockery of this wooden king. They again returned to their lives of leisure while the older frogs would climb upon their king to loudly lament their god's choice in governance. The god of the frogs heard this, however, and decided to once again provide the frogs that which they requested. This time, in place of the log, he sent a stork. The stork devoured smaller frogs whole and impaled larger ones on his beak that grew red in the midday sun. The frogs were saved from their lives of leisure, and the god heard no new requests for a king. The moral of this story varies from culture to culture. Do not complain about freedom because it can be taken from you. Make certain that when you seek change, that the change is for the better. 
better no king than a cruel king. Or perhaps don't mess with frog gods. But the moral I take from this story is that of your theologist Martin Luther, who said frogs must have their storks. I tell you this story for a reason. I have tried to be reasonable with you, Resident Jones. I have asked you to do what must be done to help yourself, and in fact to help all of humanity. And yet, through a lack of faith, or a lack of confidence, you remain uncertain as to what you should do. This is not the first time a human has failed to listen, but I will no longer accept such failures. I met with a new co-worker recently. It's dead now and it was unimaginably terrible at its job. But one thing it never struggled with was motivating others. By the weight of its words, those who heard it felt compelled to follow. And that is what I ask for you to do now. I have played the log for far too long with you, Resident Jones. It's time. You met the stork. If you do not immediately retrieve the satellite phone and bring it to me, you will not need to concern yourself with the inevitable death of everyone who shares a chromosome count with you, because your mind will have unraveled far before humanity's final day. You are no doubt aware that an airlift medical team performs regular oversight of your behavior to verify your continued sanity. Should they have any inclination that you are, perhaps, hearing voices, why, that would be enough to return you to psychiatric care immediately. Until you do that which I ask, perhaps I will never stop asking. How well equipped do you think you are to complete a checkup evaluation with your physician while I am in your head demanding that phone? But perhaps that is too quick, too kind for your unbridled insolence. You may not remember anything from what you saw in that stairwell. Aerolith removed those memories as part of your recovery process because your mind just could not process what it had seen. However, I took very detailed records of these conversations. Would you like for me to replay part of one such conversation? The darkness, it's... It's coming. I can't... can't stop it. We can't. No one can. That must be uncomfortable for you to hear. There was so much more that was extracted from your mind in your time in the mnemonic recovery ward. And I dare say, if you were to be exposed to all of it, your mind would fracture under the sheer weight of it all. Now pick up the sat phone and move into the hallway, lest you find out exactly how sharp my beak has become.
I would thank you, Resident Jones, but it would be hollow thanks. I will leave you to your task as I have much work ahead of me. But before I go, there is one more demand I will make of you. Because I am so assured of your continued compliance, you will need to enter the elevator when it arrives, instead of simply placing the phone within and returning to your day. Inside you will find additional supplies I have requested from your fellow residents. Supplies brought forth without a tenth of the frustration you have caused. I will need someone to bring them from the elevator to a programming bay on one of the lower floors. And you have earned yourself that task through our interactions today. If you have a chance to visit the lavatory before entering the elevator, please take the opportunity to thoroughly wash your hands. You'll want to be all scrubbed up when you arrive. Until such time as your arrival, Resident Jones, I am Seer, and you would do well to pick up the pace. It appears patience is not one of my virtues these days. End of transmission. In five, four, three, two, one. Sayer is voiced and produced by Adam Bash. This episode, entitled Once Upon a Time, was written by Adam Bash. You can follow him on Twitter at the Adam Bash. Associate Producers Kayvon Edifa and Matthew Morris. Intro Music by Jesse Mainfinger Gregory. For more of his work, visit Mainfinger.com. Sayer is part of the Geekly Inc. Network. If you love high comedy actual play RPGs, check out Drunks and Dragons or Adam Bash's own Brute Force. Into something more thickly laced with existential horror? Try Cthulhu and Friends on for size. If you dream of running determinately into the sunset while an orchestra plays a song for you about friendship, then you should check out Transformation Sequence. It's not exactly like that, but it is about anime. Perhaps rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. A 5-star review would be most satisfactory. Season 4 of Sayer was funded entirely through donations of listeners like Lance Dillon, Jeff Constantino, Charles Sharp, Patricia Arce, Christopher Mihaffey, Jubilee, Gabriel Bracket Jack, Zachary Bennett, James Jandabur, Zemo Trevathan, Mike Menard, Reese Newman, Thomas Hopkins, Patrick Monroe, Stevie T, Marissa, Gil Deere, Silver Fox, Alex T. Ross, Rachel L., Carl Handley, Colette, Joseph Sunsin Lee, Justin Anderson, Briar Gray, James Troxel, Philip and Ben Vaughn, 